Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Keep your heads bowed with me as I read to you the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. He said to us, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor, uh, pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Heavenly Father, this morning we come to you just as we are with the state of soul that we're in and you meet us in that spot. God, thank you for worship and the chance to be able to worship you and lower ourselves in front of you and honor you and exalt you. God, this morning I pray for our church body. Lord, so many in our church are walking through some difficult times, those who have lost loved ones or friends recently. Uh, Lord, in that, Lord, as they mourn, as they, as they grieve through that, Lord, would you meet them in that and comfort them as you promised. Lord, for those who have received some difficult diagnoses lately of cancer and, and other illness going on, Lord, there's a number in our church body. I pray that you would comfort them as well, that as they're broken before you, as they are poor in spirit, that you would bring the kingdom of God to them and may they see your goodness to them. God, we praise you for uh, your work in sparing this Alliance Church in uh, Paradise, California from the wildfire that came through there. And I pray that as that church both mourns the loss for some of them of their homes, that you would uh, comfort them. Would you also give them the ability to reach out and minister to, to their community as they walk through this, Lord? Thank you for sparing their building. May that just be a tool for ministry now uh, as this community uh, grieves as, as this fire came through. Lord, we pray for Alliance churches all around the world that are worshiping this morning. And Father, we pray for those especially that are in places that are being persecuted where it's hard to worship and and be able to be in the open uh, about that. And I pray that you would uh, meet those in that state, give them courage and boldness, and may they live their faith with with all the the gusto of, of you living in them. And Father, this morning, as we open up your word, will you also meet us here in Grand Junction, in this church, in our seats where we're sitting, that you would speak through your gentle, small voice to us and encourage us today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you be seated? It's great to be with you. I'm Pastor Brian, lead pastor here at River of Life, and it is a joy to worship uh, in this, in this uh, building together. So appreciate you as a church. I look forward all week to being together and uh, Sundays when we get to see each other. And uh, so thank you for being here this morning. Uh, Lord, the Lord has 
kind of redirected a little bit of the path for today. Uh, going into these next couple of weeks, I thought I had a plan until last weekend. And the Lord changed some of my thoughts. I very clearly feel like he was leading us to a different direction. And so that's where we're going to be both today and next week. So if you have a Bible, would you turn to Second Corinthians chapter 4? This book that is written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the city of Corinth. A church that, if you could say there was any messed up church in the New Testament, this was probably sit pretty high on that list. And the church in Corinth had all kinds of issues going on, but Paul loved them. Paul reveals some of his pastoral heart to them in this. And so we're going to come to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 today. We're going to take the first six verses today, and these will help set us up for our time of communion this morning. As we read these, would you read them along with me? You can see it on the screen, but in your own mind, just read along with me. But remember, these are the very words of God to us. Chapter 4, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You see what's happening here is Paul is beginning to write to this church where he's coming under attack for how he's doing ministry. If anybody has reason to lose heart in this situation, Paul does. Paul does because the situation is one where people are accusing him of all kinds of things that are going on. Why are you, uh, why are you doing ministry this way or that way? And he's saying, I have a pure ministry. I have a ministry that's out in the open. It's a ministry that proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's one of dying to self. It's a tough gospel. It's the real gospel, he would point out. His tone switches a little bit in verse 3. He says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but it's Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves simply as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown or made to shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's God's word to us. The worst defeat in college football came way back in 1916, on October 7th, 1916. Two schools, Georgia Tech played Cumberland College, which is of Kentucky, and listen to the score. Final score, 222 to zero. They beat the snot out of Cumberland. So that's on record, it's a fact, and it's said here that Cumberland never made a first down in that game. The much smaller team here, they were just mauled and halfway through the first half, still in the first half, halfway through, one of the Cumberland uh, backs fumbled the ball. And as that ball rolled towards his teammate, he yelled, pick it up, pick it up. And his teammate looked at him and he yelled back, you pick it up, you dropped it. Sometimes as believers in Jesus, our situation, our life can feel just as hopeless. We've dropped the ball. We don't feel like picking it up and running with it. We've been knocked down time and time again, and we want to quit. Well, this chapter, chapter 4, that we're going to look at this week and next week, is 
Paul's defense of his ministry, but even more than that, why Paul, even in the midst of being attacked, why Paul in the midst of the struggle of what he's been given in life, this Christian life that he's been given, why it's so difficult, and in the middle of it, guess what he doesn't do? Lose heart. See, one of the things that sets Christians apart is that in the midst of anything we go through, it's possible for us to not lose heart. This idea of losing heart, when Paul begins to describe it in verse 1 there, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, is a military language. The idea of losing heart would be in battle, one who just kind of cowers over in the corner, surrendering to the enemy. But in Paul's thinking, there is no place for surrender, no place for retreat in the life of a Christian. You may feel like you're on the ropes, or that your light is very dim right now. But that's probably not true. Your situation, if you could understand the context, is probably not true like that. But why would a Christian lose heart today? Well, there's a number of things that I was thinking about this week that led us into this, led me into this, and some situations. One of them would be this. As a pastor, I'm attuned to the fact that over the last couple of months, we've driven hard from the pulpit, talking about a number of things that are challenges in our walk with the Lord. And that's good, but there's also the need for balance. And we can get weary. We can find it to be heavy. So maybe as a church, we come to today and there's a bit of a heaviness. We're losing heart because the battle is, is, is hard and it's chaos around us. Perhaps some would say, well, the reason I lose heart is our culture has changed so much. We just came through midterm elections, and I know some that's despairing as you looked at things that were going on. But we can all observe as we look around, there is a hostility that seems to be rising as we become the minority in this world. As darkness and light have a sharper contrast between each other. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's the reality of what we live in. And there's a stress just living in our culture and all the pressures that are upon us today. There's a growing stress. There's a burden that we carry, whether we're believers or not. But as believers, we could be tempted to lose heart. Some of you would say, this is actually my story. I'm just going through a long desert season in my walk with the Lord. And I'm losing heart because I don't always understand where he is in this moment I'm living in. You feel dry spiritually. Others would raise their hand and say, it's because I'm suffering, I'm tempted to lose heart. You're going through a health crisis. You're going through a financial crisis, a job crisis, a friend crisis of some sort. You're suffering right now. Others would raise their hand and say, well, the reason I'm tempted to lose heart is I've been following Jesus for maybe months, maybe it's years, and some of your circumstances haven't changed. Your marriage is still difficult. Your relationships with some other believers are still difficult. Your situation at home, maybe you have a child who is not walking with the Lord right now and that grieves you and it's hard. We're not careful. We would be tempted to despair as believers. We could be tempted to feel that we're on the ropes, that we're just about done. And Paul says, even in the midst of all the difficulty he's going through, he doesn't lose heart in this ministry, in this, this thing that God has given him, this ministry. Following Jesus, 
this ministry that God has given all of us. But what is this ministry? Well, if we look at this sentence, it begins with this phrase, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God. It's a ministry we all have, but it begins with the word therefore. And two weeks ago, Toby helped us again. Remember that basic biblical interpretation phrase, when you see therefore, you need to look at what it's there for, right? And so we go back and we look in chapter 3, and what is that therefore? What is this ministry that he's been given? It is this ministry that he calls a ministry of the new covenant. Throughout First and Second Corinthians, Paul calls it some different things because it has some different dimensions to it. But this new covenant, this covenant that's no longer of the law, but instead it's one of grace. It's no longer about meeting up to a standard. It's now about grace and forgiveness. And Paul said he's been, what's been laid upon him is this ministry of the new covenant. It's what's been laid upon all of us, this ministry of the new covenant. He says in verse, chapter 3, verse 8, this ministry is of the Spirit. It's a ministry of the Spirit. When you think of the new covenant, even consider the fact we're going to take communion today. And one of the pieces that we read every week when we come, every month when we come to communion, is that idea that this, the blood, symbolizes the new covenant. And Paul has been given the ministry of the new covenant. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he calls this ministry a message of the cross. He's proclaiming the cross. This is the ministry that God has put upon him. So the ministry of the new covenant is also the ministry of the cross. Those are connected. In chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, in the letter we're in, he calls it this ministry of reconciliation. They're all words of the same thing. They're describing the exact same thing, but it's this ministry that God has put upon him. This ministry of reconciliation is one that we have really bitten into here at River of Life. This idea, it is our mission that we are just simply joining Christ in his mission of reconciling God and man. That's what we're about at River of Life. That is our mission. We're joining God in that process. And by the way, I just want to add that next week, uh, I'm excited to be able to um, let you know that we're going to share a bit with some elders, with our congregation, about where God is taking us, where we sense he's leading us in the future as a church. So at the beginning of our service next week, I hope you're here to, uh, to take that in and that you join us in that, in that mission that God is putting on us as a church body. As we've been through the last year, year and a half since I arrived, we've been processing, we've been talking with you, I've been observing in the church and seeing where God's at work and we sense that the Lord is leading us into the future, and we want to put some description to that as we, as we uh, come in next week. Well, you'll notice something about this ministry that Paul has. It's a ministry that he cherishes because it was given to him by the mercy of God. He sees this ministry, and he says, it's by his mercy that he gave it to me. Paul, I believe also in saying that, is, is reflecting on his past. He's dumbfounded that God would choose him, the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners, to participate in this ministry that he's called him to. It's a blessing. And yet at the same time in it, he's taking attack and it's taking a pounding on him. And one of the things we have to realize and we have to say often as a reminder to us is that being a follower of Jesus is not easy. Being a follower of Jesus is all about Death to self, attack, persecution, those are all pieces of what it means to follow Jesus. 
And there's great joy in following Jesus, but there's also a side that on the earthly realm, we are going to face things. And in following in this chapter in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9, Paul points this out, and we'll dig into this more deeply next week. We are afflicted in every single way, but yet we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken by God. We're struck down, but guess what? We are not destroyed in the middle of that. And if you're a believer in in Jesus, expect difficulty in this life. Because following Jesus is about death. I heard a person on the radio say this this week. If it doesn't feel like dying, it's probably not the gospel. The gospel has a lot to do with dying, right? But it also brings life into us. There's this paradox. Death and life, it's by dying that we find life. And that's the paradox of the gospel. So what's this point that he's trying to make, Paul, make to us today? One of the things I think that we're going to discover throughout this chapter is that there are things we need to see that we are not currently seeing. That if light could be shed upon it, we could see. If God could only open our eyes to them, he would ensure we don't lose heart in the midst of the battle. Paul wants us to see that. I believe the Lord wants us to see that. And the point of today is realizing that. And also, when we do lose heart, most of the time we're failing to see things we need to see. You know the old phrase that says, don't show up to a gunfight with a knife? We could flip that around for Christians. Don't show up to a spiritual battle blind. Let's unpack that a little bit. Throughout scripture, a number of times, there are instances and situations where people begin to see things that they hadn't seen before, and it made all the difference in the world. Happened for Paul a number of times. Happened in in 2 Kings chapter 6. You see, Elisha was a prophet in Israel at that time, and Elisha is standing for the Lord. He's helping Israel, and he's calling Israel into the heart of God. He's calling them towards God. And in the middle of this situation, Syria is an enemy of Israel. And Syria is moving their troops all around. And every time they would move their troops, it would get leaked out somehow to Israel. And Israel could respond. They were ready to defend themselves, even though they were in some ways weaker in their military. And so the king of Syria calls his council together. And he says, who's leaking this information? Who's getting it out there? He's sure it's one of his guys, and they all say, none of us are. We're innocent. But we know who. His name's Elisha. And Elisha is a prophet of God, and he knows what's going on. And so the king of Syria does what you would logically think he would do. He says, all right, we're going to go get him. And so he sends his special forces in to surround the town at night where Elisha is staying. And in this chapter, it describes what goes on. In the morning, the sun comes up. Elisha's servant goes out, and he looks out, out on the hills around the town. And they're surrounded with more men than Elisha possibly has. And Elisha, calm and true in faith and, and just solid and steady in the Lord, says, prays a simple prayer, open his eyes that he might see. And when he does, the servant looks out, and he sees the spiritual realm. And we see Elisha's uh, fiery chariots also surrounding and protecting the city. In that moment, the whole dynamic changed when they could see what they couldn't see before. In that moment, because 
this, the veil was taken off of the spiritual realm, it changed everything. As we dig into these verses, there is, this, there is the same kind of thing happening here. A veil that needs to come off. Uh, a, a seeing that we can have. In verses 3 and 4, there's a description of what goes on in, in the life of an unbeliever. Paul says this, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. And in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, an unbeliever simply can't see the glory of Jesus Christ because their eyes are literally veiled from seeing. I don't mean sheer fabric. I mean veil, like a curtain that doesn't let light through. They can't see it. They don't understand it because the light has not yet shined in their life. They can't see the glory of Jesus who is the image of God. And because of this, they're dying, they're perishing in their sins, separated from Jesus Christ. And we see this contrast of light and dark in this chapter right here. And so who is this one who is holding this veil, putting the veil on and holding it? Yes, their behavior, their choices have condemned them, but who's putting the veil on them? It, in that verse, says the God of this age. Literally what they're talking about, what God is telling us here, is it's Satan. Satan is also called the, the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2. He is the ruler of this world, John 12.31. And the enemy holds people in darkness. So what's going on here? Let's do something that will help us picture it. I need a kid who is late elementary or middle school age to raise their hand and come up and be a volunteer. All right, come on up. All right, hurry up here. And we have a veil. And we're going to have a light in just a moment. Hop up on the platform. You want to tell everybody your name really loud? Addison, why don't we welcome Addison up here? Addison, how old are you? 13. 13 years old. Okay, Addison, we are going to do something together. Are you nervous? You should be. Okay. Addison, I'm going to put this over your head, this veil, and we're going to do something. Stand there. Don't move, okay? Um, we're going to cut all the lights. I'm going to turn on a bright light, and don't look at this light because it is bright, okay? It, you will see it for hours afterwards. Okay? And did it turn away enough that everybody's okay? All right. Addison, you are going to model for us this, what it's like for an unbeliever in this darkness, in this contrast between light and dark. Addison, can you see anything out of that blanket? Okay, you can see a little bit shining through, but not much, right? Can you see what I'm doing right now? No, I'm just holding it in front of your face. Can you see? Uh, and, uh, so, Addison, what we're going to do is we're going to turn you around, and I want you to just kind of go through life, which is going to be walking around on the platform a little bit here, okay? Okay, ready? Go. I don't know, go. Matt, don't panic, okay? I know you have expensive equipment. Stop, 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 Addison. Whoa, look out. All right, turn to your right just a little bit. Okay, walk. Stop. Can you go to the light, by the way? Yeah. Okay. Try to get to the light. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm near you. Stop, Addison. You're going to run into something. Okay. 
You want let's talk. You leave that on, okay? <laughs> I love this. All right. Addison, I'm going to get a microphone. Stand right there, okay? Addison, this is kind of modeling the idea of what it's like for an unbeliever. Satan has put the veil over them. They literally can't see and understand the gospel. Maybe they can kind of see it, but you don't understand that light very well. What is it like to try to walk around when you can't see anything? And trip over stuff. Uh, Yeah, you trip a lot, don't you? And you feel kind of funny still standing there with a a blanket on your head? Yeah. Okay, but, but you'll hang in there with us for a second? Sure. Okay. When I yell to you, stop, you're about to run into something, eventually, how would you feel if I kept saying that to you? Angry. Angry and frustrated. Can you see yourself even very well underneath there? Can, mm. When you push the curtain out, you can, right? Yeah. But, but when it's tight against you, you can't. What if I'm holding it against you? And, and if you are walking around, can you really understand where that light is or exactly what it is? Not really. Not very well, right? Okay. All right. Thank you, Addison, for being up here. You can take that off. Woohoo! Do you get the idea... For an unbeliever, that is what it's like. Do you remember before you knew Christ, literally the veil was over your head and Christ made his light shine upon you and until his light hit you, you couldn't see yourself and you couldn't understand his glory and the glory and the greatness of Jesus Christ that drew you to him. Until he did that, God was the initiator. He was the one who started it and brought that to your life through Jesus Christ. Don't you praise God for that? Verse 5, Paul goes on and he defends his ministry a bit more. He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. In other words, he ministers not for the praise or the criticism of people. He ministers for Jesus Christ alone. His job is simply to lead people towards Jesus, towards green pasture. Verse 6 Beautiful verse, so much packed into it. We're only going to be able to skim the surface of it. But it says this, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He uses this phrase that helps us remember creation. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness in creation. He brought light out of darkness in the same way in through the person of Jesus Christ. God brought light into your spiritually dark heart. We praise God for that. The idea that light would come, John 1, 5 describes it as the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. God made his light shine upon you. He lifted the veil, lifted the curtain that you might see His glory. So church, we might be tempted to despair. But we have to remind ourselves of some particular solid truths of scripture. As we walk through this, there's some things that emerge. And I'm just going to pound through a bullet to the list that's going to show up on the screen. That are good reminders that tie in with what we've just said. And seen in these verses. One of them is this. People are not your enemy. People are not your enemy. They are veiled. There's a spiritual battle, though, that's raging around us. That's the second thing. There's a spiritual battle raging around us. And Satan is the enemy. Do you remember what Ephesians 6.12 says? 
For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We are in a battle, and it's a spiritual battle, and it's going on all around us, and you are not a neutral player as much as you might wish that you were. People's souls are at stake. And Satan wants to bring spiritual death. He wants to keep the veil over them, and he wants to kill and destroy. Do you remember 1 Peter 5, 8? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, a predator, looking for someone to devour. So there's this spiritual battle going on all around us, and people's souls are at stake in it. Also, God uses people to minister to people. All we have to do is join him in that. And he uses us to minister to other people, to lead them to Jesus. And you don't have to be the Holy Spirit in people's life. Praise God. Someone this week shared with me their excitement about somebody else they had met and were able to invite to come to church at River of Life. That simple step of saying, I could do that. I could invite somebody to church as, as, I, as they got to know this, this guy. and They invited him here. Nine years ago, there was a kid in my youth group who the Lord had just put heavy on my heart as he was coming to our youth group for a couple months. Now, and the Lord simply said, now's the time. And I took him down to the City Life Center, which is the Youth for Christ building in Missoula, Montana. We sat down and we had a snack after school together and I walked him through the gospel. Right there in that room, he prayed to trust Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. This past week, I haven't heard from him in a couple of years. This past week, he sent me uh, a message on Messenger. He said this, hey, Brian, I was just thinking about you earlier today. One encouragement, guys, this was when I got this. The, the binding on the Bible you gave me almost nine or so years ago has finally fallen off. He said, I've read it front to back and have taken it all over the world. Just thought you'd enjoy hearing that. Oh, I enjoyed hearing that. That was so good to hear. God uses people to minister to people. But you're just bringing them over to Jesus. Another thing is this, is that God does the saving. Kind of reiterating that point. God shines his light into people's lives. And he made his light shine on you. Isn't that amazing? And he does that in you. He does the work. And one miracles this is that god shone his light into your life he helped others see the glory uh, he helped you see the glory of the gospel when he shined his light into you i bet there was somebody also he used in that process don't you crave to see his glory more show me that light more that's a miracle another thing is this is he wants others to see the light do you believe that God wants others to see the light because lost people matter to God. And he wants them saved. And there is no other hope for them. There is no TED's seminar that will save them. There is no self-help book that will save them. There is no amount of ignoring it that will save them. He wants them saved and it's only through Jesus Christ. There's There's salvation in no other name under heaven given by men by which we must be saved. Jesus desires for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And one last thing that I hope you embrace and realize this is woven into this context of this whole 2 Corinthians 4. It's not directly stated, but it's, it's there. In the end, God wins. Don't forget that. 
Are you about to lose hope? Are you feeling on the ropes? In the end, God wins. Paul, I believe, had to have had that perspective. He so often points to the future, but God wins. When we read the end of the story, we see that God wins and he brings his followers into paradise. If you need some help, go read the last three chapters of of Revelation. It'll bring you great hope. Remember that the devil is cast into the lake of fire. He loses. That Jesus, in Revelation 21, 3, it says, well, it just says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's the end. For God's people, if you're suffering, if you're going through a disheartening situation, if it's just hard to continue to be a believer and you feel like you're on the ropes, God wins in the end. So if we could sum up everything that we've said here, what are some of the things we would need to make sure we take away? It's to remember that this end of the story hasn't yet happened. Take hope. Take hope in what you see on the screen, these simple truths. Don't fight the wrong battle. Maybe as you look at your life, you feel like it's just harder and harder for you to stand for Jesus and follow Jesus in the culture that we're living in. The story is not over yet, and God wins. Maybe you have children who are long ways away from the Lord. The story is not over yet. Maybe you're tired in ministry. Guys, the story is not yet over. Maybe politics have you down right now. The story is not over. John Wesley was a man who wanted to be a missionary, and the first thing he did when he entered into ministry was he came to the United States back in the colonization days. He came to the United States as a missionary, a missionary to the Native Americans. But he counted that time as a miserable failure because he didn't see very many converts. He struggled in the months he was here. He went back to England. And in England, God used him in a mighty revival across that country. The story is not yet over. So we don't lose heart because God is still at work. There's things you need to see that you're not yet seeing. The light needs to be shown on those things. So don't despair. Be driven to your knees. Think of Elisha. It changed everything when they could see what was going on around them. There was a a friend who asked Sir Douglas Haig, who was a British field marshal, during an awful battle of World War I, if he was discouraged. You know World War One. Think you know you've seen the pictures of what World War One was like. And this is what he replied back: "Discouraged? A Christian man has no right to be discouraged in the same world as God." And that's the truth that we have. There's no reason to be discouraged because God. Father, would you encourage us today that you are there, that you never forsake us that we could walk through anything and that's our trademark, anything. What's the worst they could do to us? Kill us? What's the worst they could do is persecute us? It's not the end. And Father, I pray that you would, that you would build us up, give us confidence and strength in you, fill us with faith. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'm going to come to the table as a church family this morning, a communion table, and we're going to do it a little bit different today. Normally, we just walk to the tables, and we're moving, and we're busy, and there's not as much room for reflection. Today, we would like to serve you. I'm wondering if there are four of you who, in coming forward, would say, 
I'm holding on. I don't want to lose hope. I need that right now. And if there's four of you who that would be your declaration, would you come forward and serve our church body this morning by joining me up here? And as four of you come forward for that, I also just want to help us remember what communion is all about. We remember the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it says this, And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. These four are going to join me in serving you this morning. And as we have some space different than the way we typically do it, I just appreciate if you take some time, maybe it's in confession, maybe it's in thanksgiving for what the Lord has done in your life because he's shown his light into you. If you're on the ends of the aisle and the plate comes to you, just turn around and pass it to the person behind you. And as we go through this, this is a time for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. This is a time for us who have placed our faith in him. But I acknowledge in this room, there easily could be some who don't believe, who've never taken that step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. May today be the day of salvation. Here's the gospel. The gospel is this. You were created by God, that he loves you. But humanity fell in sin, and we're all contaminated by this sin. Our choices, our decisions have condemned us, and that separates us from God. But God loved the world, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come into this world as we trust him, as we place our faith in him for what he did on the cross when he died in our place, God dying in our place, we might be saved when we place our trust in him. You can do that right here, right now, in this room today. And I know the tendency is to walk away and I'll think about it and I'll deal with that later. But Jesus Christ would call us today because we don't know what our future is. Today can be that day of salvation. Pray right where you are. Place your faith in him if that's you. Confess your sins to him and your need for salvation. We're going to serve you in just a moment. You'll be handed both elements, but just hold on to them and we'll take them together after all have been served.